Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with a top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. My name is Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge, and I am very excited to have Arnie Malham, maybe our most seasoned uh, Conversations at the Edge guest, uh, back for another episode to talk about uh, your favorite topic, which is culture. And today, uh, I'm excited to talk about culture in the relationship that it has to retention, uh, hiring, but I want to get started and dig into culture and discuss how company culture can play a role in you know things like employee happiness and, and retention um, and productivity. So Arnie, welcome back to Conversations at the Edge. Uh, I assume you are calling us from your home office today? Not Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, thrilled to be hanging out. And- so Arnie, you know, we keep coming back to you because you are our guru when it comes to building an engaged workplace. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, where did you kind of learn your culture acumen that, you know, led to you to have such success with CJ advertising and legal intake? Uh, look, everything uh, that we I've learned has been uh, R&D, ripped off and duplicated over the years. The books we read, the people we meet, the the uh, experiences that we are that we get to be fortunate enough to, to to go be a part of the tours of other businesses where you pick up ideas that are both good and bad for your business, but you know John DeJulius, Cameron Harrell, Jack Daly, Vern Harnish, uh, uh, all these people talk and speak in terms of culture. All of them and dozens more. I just I guess I just won four friends and then pissed off another twenty who I didn't mention. Uh, all have shared through 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 presentations, through their books, through consultations, through workshops, the experiences that built our culture over the years. It's important to know that no one person built our entire culture. No one idea changed everything. It was the combination of those things that that I want to encourage every leader out there to look at. Who you are is who your culture is, and and who you are takes place over time not in an instant and not with one book or one idea. That's great. And so, you know, you've talked a lot, you know, in your book, in in your course on this show, that every organization's culture is inherently different. And the uniqueness is part of what makes some cultures great for some people and not so great for others. Um, But are there any like core characteristics that you say every great culture that I've seen been a part of are doing these things, however many they might be. Well, there's three. I'm gonna hit, try to hit three topics on that question. One is my my go-to phrase: culture reflects leadership. It makes many uncomfortable because it just like me many years ago when I realized my culture isn't what I wanted, I looked in the mirror and realized I'm the problem. So so culture reflects leadership. If you have a great culture, it reflects your leadership. If you have a poor culture. It reflects your leadership. So number one is the leader has to realize that culture reflects leadership. It's not it's, it's not your team. It's not your clients. It's not the industry. It's not the economic times. Culture reflects leadership. Two is that cultures need a story to survive. Cultures need a, 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 a beginning, a middle, 
a, an ongoing journey, the, a language of one's culture is as important as the energy of one's culture. And so tell that story. What is your origin story? What are your core values? Where did they come from? Uh, what language do you use in your business that's unique to you? Name your culture, if at all possible. We were camel culture. Like you can be, you can be, you, you guys are uh, green salad. Yes. Right? Green, green salad, salad culture. Yep. There is no right or wrong name. It's a name that fits the stories that you tell. And so culture reflects leadership. Culture reflects the stories you tell. And culture reflects the programs you have in place, the sustainable, scalable programs that your company has in place. List them out. If you can't list them, we, we let's start with one. If you can list several, then how sustainable and how scalable are they? How do you recognize people in your organization? How do you encourage growth? How do you how do you recognize their families? How do you show appreciation? How do you um, display who you are to others that come in your building? All these things are elements of a culture that that reflect who you are. And if you have none of those things, then we're not reflecting a lot of things. So again, leadership's number one, the stories you tell number two, the programs you have in place is number three. The combination of that becomes your culture. I'm curious, you know, your people are running around like crazy. They got more work than they know what to do with. How do you keep this like culture, you know, by design in these programs going Right. When people are super busy executing their daily activities, how do you make it not feel like extra work, but something that's really a part of the work? Well, we want it to become a, a, a we want it to be a privilege to get to work on these things, right? It can it can it can let you excel in areas outside your work, but but you have to take a step back from that question. If your team members are are in a constant state of overwork and overexertion and too much and not time for anything, you're not the leader I need you to be, right? Because you would a great lead. No one, no one talks about great leaders as people who overwhelm their staff with more work than they can handle, or give them too much to do, or over, 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 um, overload their capacity on a constant basis. Does it happen weeks here and there, months here and there during projects? Absolutely. But if your team is in a constant state of overworked and underappreciated, that's not good leadership. And so we got to fix that first. But if they have the appropriate amount of work where, you know, they throttle up and throttle down, there's no one that can't take on a, a, a good culture program that's going to take maybe, maybe two, one at the worst. Oh, my God, crazy programs at four hours a month. I can't even think of one that would take that long. Like you're talking a couple hours a month to manage a program, to report KPIs, to answer questions, to improve the process, those kind of things. This is not a take this big load and run with it along with everything else you've got to do that I've overloaded you with that I don't appreciate you for that you're not capable of doing. That's crazy, right? So the first step is let's, let's, if you're overloaded, that's not a you problem. That's a me problem. Let's fix that. And so I think it's a good segue. Um, obviously folks who are so overloaded that they can't run culture programs probably are not um, advocates to be staying at your organization more than a year, two years, three years. So I want to talk about retention and yeah. culture plays a part in, you know, getting great people not only to join, but then stick around for a long time. Yeah. Well, this brings up the, the age old question, chicken or the egg, right? Is do great cultures attract great people or do great people create a great culture, right? Which, which comes first. And, and my argument, you know, constantly people, when I get better people, I'll have a better culture. 
That doesn't work. When you become a better leader, you will have a better culture and your good people will stay and other good people will be attracted to that culture that attracts them. And so it's number one is making sure you understand what comes first. And that's leadership that creates a culture that attracts the people that want to stay. Now, once they get there, what do we need? What do we need for our team to, to be happy there? They, we, they have to they can't be overworked on a constant basis. Right. They need to be compensated in a fair uh, I wouldn't say abundant, but a but a fair and generous compensation that 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 recognizes our people's talent right on a constant basis. They need to be around people that they like and appreciate and who like and appreciate them. So part of our job as leaders in our organization is to create that opportunity that people like one of the greatest programs we had was just the ability for team members to recognize each other and appreciate each other through simple cards that they end up putting in their cubicle or in their office or, or wherever they worked so that so that they knew the people around them supported them and liked them. And so it's just creating that environment that I feel appreciated, that I feel like I'm 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 doing the best work I can do and I'm growing. Right. That's another big responsibility of leadership is to help their team members grow. And so it's do can you have a uh, someone who's hitting their stride who feels like they're supported, who feels like they're grown, who's being paid well. If you if you start checking all those boxes, is it is it possible that they may still leave for another job? It's possible. But with every box we check, we reduce those chances. Are they paid appropriately? Are they have a, the appropriate workload? Do the people around them respect them? Are they being put in a position to be successful? Are they given opportunities to grow? Like you start checking those boxes for each of your team members and the chances of them staying goes way up. And that's that's the that's those are the things that you can't do once because you just read a book or just heard me speak or just came from a conference. It's these are things that we want to put in place they happen over and over and over again. Our team members didn't get an appreciation card one month and then not another one for 16 months. They got appreciation cards constantly, right? We rocked people in huddles and in our weekly meetings and our monthly staff meetings constantly. We sent their kids birthday gifts every year right so that they made sure that positive conversations were going on at the home we made sure the bathrooms were meticulous every day because i wanted our place to be nicer than any place else they could imagine like these are things that we and every one of those things i just mentioned had a champion had kpis and had the support of leadership to keep getting it right keep or keep getting it wrong until they finally get it right that's great um you know, another question that comes, I guess, you know, prior to the retention, uh, the retention question is, how do I actually, I've got this great culture. I want more people who are going to appreciate the culture. So stick around longer. How do I hire for culture fit and not, you know, just get hypothetical answers yeah. from folks who say that they want to be in this type of work environment? Yeah. Well, there's, I, I, I can go a couple of ways in answering that question. One is, you know, what's your interview process like? How much exposure do you give them to your team and how much exposure to, to your team do you give the person? Like we interviews, first interviews, first interviews are the easiest to, to, um, fake, if you will. I can be great for 30. I can be great for this show, right? And then I can go kick my, I wouldn't kick my dog, but I could, right? You would never know. But the more time you spend around me, the more you get to know me, right? And the same is for me. The more time I spend around you, the more I get to know you. And so part of it is creating an interview process that gives you exposure to the candidate. That's number one. Number two is we want to make sure that they know that um, 
what they're seeing around them or, or whether it's on your website or it's in your physical location or it's a part of who, you know, your, your inter, uh, internal web documents. This is who you are. Like you're not putting on a show for them and they're not putting on a show for you that it's who you are. This is a, there's a history of programs. There's a history of recognition. There's a history of success with your people and that's who you are. But the, the same for them, right? As, as any, as you know, I've learned a lot from the book who and how they interview or top, you know, was it, um, top grading, top grading right. Is the longer version of who's my, the, my, my, uh, Ole Miss version of, of top grading is who. And so I can, anyway, so, uh, is pattern recognition. So every time we do a deep dive interview, it's tell me what you did in your life at these different stages, right? If, if they're young, then you're talking about what did you do in high school? What did you do? And after high school, what would you do in your first jobs? Figure out the patterns that are repeating. Those are the most likely things to keep repeating. If you hear a pattern of, of things that don't make sense in your culture, you hiring them isn't going to change that pattern. And so recognize those patterns, call attention to those patterns and let them know how that fits in your culture. And you're more likely to get that repeat. Right. If you hear patterns that don't match your values of who you are as a, as a company, then don't think they're going to change because you hire them. It's not going to happen. No more than you're going to change as a company because you hire them. And so, uh, number one, it goes back to time with candidate. Number two is look for patterns that are likely to repeat themselves. And I guess number three is always be showing your culture because, because most of our candidates opted into our culture, right? Occasionally we hire someone and, and after 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, you realize that this didn't quite mesh. But most of the time, if we expose them enough to who we are, a good match is made. So I want to I wanna switch gears a little bit um, to learning and development and the role that that plays in an organization's culture. Because I know you created a company based on learning and development. And you created Better Book Club because you wanted your people in your organization to read literally about anything. So um, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about your philosophy around learning and development and growth and education inside the workplace. Well, as, as I hopefully people get are, are sick of me saying, uh, along with culture reflects leadership, is if you can't grow your team, you can't, you can't grow your company. And so as a, as a, as a founder, as a, as, a, as a leader in any organization, whether you're a leader of a team of three a leader of a team of 30 or 300, if you can't grow your team, you can't grow your, your company or your division. And so it's about making them better. Your job is literally as a leader to make the people around you better. That, that's your, that, that is your number one job. And so how they get better becomes the game. And in, the, in, an, in, a, in one line of thinking that is, that is part of um, bad entrepreneurial folklore, it's my last book, or seminar or conference or thing I learned is your next book or conference or seminar or thing you learned. And that don't fly. That will not work in today's workforce. Just because I did it doesn't mean you should do it. What I need you to do is anything that helps you become a better human being. Now, Better Book Club is all about getting books and brains, getting you to read the next book that's right for you and offering you incentive and recognition and opportunity to do that. Better Book Club is just one area, right? I don't, I don't care how you're growing as long as you're growing, but you can't be a part of my, my organization unless you're growing. So let's find a path, right? 
And so Better Book Club makes that easy, easy to do with books. It helps get people books and brains, helps them become a better parent, a better spouse, better with their money. I don't care what you do. Just get better and you choose. Because if I pick it for you, you'll resent me for it. You won't learn it wholly and you it won't become a part of you the way if you pick it and it changes your life. You talked a lot about like the KPIs um, and the metrics that people you were responsible for in the culture programs. What KPIs were you tracking in terms of learning and development? How were you measuring the ROI from a hundred dollar book versus a, yeah. a $4,000 conference? Well, the, you know, it's, 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 the answer is we, we had a lot of KPIs. People made, by, by the way, if people aren't making fun of you, if you're not making fun of your leader about something in a, in a positive way, then they're not doing, they're not repeating enough. They're not doing enough. So Arnie was, made fun of a lot for his KPIs, but like for books, it was how many books have we read? How many people have, you know, have reached this, you know, four books a year sort of stand mark. What are our favorite titles? Uh, how much money have we spent on this program per quarter? And we chart it and we put it on the wall and we publish it through our interwebs so that everyone knew what was going on. Uh, but appreciation notes, how, how many, we had recognition envelopes, right? We, at every monthly staff meeting, we give away 10, eight would have 10 bucks in each of them. One would have a 20, one would have a hundred. We kept up with who got each of these. This, this person has got an envelope every month. This person hasn't gotten an envelope in like 10 months. Like what's going on there? So that's part of the KPI. Um, we kept up with turnover every month on the wall. Here's our turnover ratio. Here's what changed. We kept up with, um, I'm trying to remember all the different KPI stuff on the wall, but every champion, by the way, was responsible for their own set of KPIs. They could add KPIs. They could subtract KPIs once we got them started. And we would have them put a literally, literal, in, in my world, a physical piece of paper on the wall. It would have the date published. It would have published by in their name. And if I, as the leader of the organization, ever walked by and saw a date out of place, I'd just take the piece of paper and I'd go put it on their desk and I'd say, hey, Let's update this. Not like you're a terrible person. Oh my God, I can't believe you hadn't updated it. But it, it's a it's a way to keep it going. Anyone can look and say, this is out of date. I want a new one. I know exactly who to go to to ask for it. And because every champion is responsible for their own, I'm not taking 30 pieces of paper to one person and saying, update all this on top of the other stack of stuff you have to do, right? And so it's a easy way to sort of sort of keep it going. But KPIs come down to how do I know this program is successful? And every program has a different number of KPIs. I, I guess I'm curious mostly around the learning and development KPI. Like if somebody was to read a book, good to great, what's the KPI to know if that like made an impact on their life, on their business, or is it just trusting that the fact that they read yeah. it is good enough? Yeah, like I, 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 know, I know that um, I know what reading's done for me. And I know mm -hmm. it's done, done for the most of the people that I know in my life. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying that you can't read a book and get nothing out of it. But but it's like when you go to the casino, if you can get a few percentage points on your side, I'll take a team who has read at least two to four books a year over a team who doesn't read any day. And you and I'll go <laughs> get, you find me one person that won't take that that advantage. And and then I have no argument, right? Okay. But there's no that. one who wants a bunch of dumb people who don't read, who don't grow, who don't like it. Like, so this is just a sustainable, reliable program. The old program is I read this book, here's 20 copies, everyone read this book. That doesn't work. Like it's it's myth, it's total everyone gets mad at everybody when you do that. Like no one likes that program except the like people are like slamming their fist right now. Because people I used to do it. 
It doesn't work and no one likes it. Let people pick what they have. And by the way, reading, I'm a big Better Book Club. I'm promoting it going too far, but just grow. I don't care how you grow, but grow. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.